Well, welcome to The Crossing. So glad that you're with us today. I'm going to also like to welcome our Southeast campus, those who are watching online and our microsites. Can we give them a big hand? Welcome them. Glad that you're part of The Crossing family with us. On Friday, I leave for Israel. Um, Darla and I are leading a group here from The Crossing, about 40 people, to Israel for the next 10 days. And we're really excited about this. You can follow along. I'll be posting pictures on my Instagram account. But I'm telling you this for two reasons. Number one, I want you to pray for our team that's going, these 40 people. This is a bucket list thing for them. And so just pray for us as we are there. And then here's the second thing is I want you to go. I would love for you just to put this on your bucket list and someday to go with us because you will grow more spiritually in the 10 days that you're in Israel than 10 days anywhere else in your life. It's just an amazing experience and would love for you to go with us next time we go. Well, we're in a series called Hope Rising. And here's the idea is that God wants to do some rebuilding in our lives. And here's what all of us have in common that you are either in a rebuilding season in your life right now, you just came out of a rebuilding season, or you're about to go into one. That this is something that, that all of us deal with, and God has this vision of what your life could be. That when you begin to embrace the brokenness and to take the steps of healing, it is when hope begins to emerge out of our stories. Well, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Nehemiah chapter 5. This series, we've just been walking through this Old Testament book of Nehemiah. And let me tell you what's happened years before this book happened, years before this story happened, is the children of Israel would go through the cycle of disobeying God. And they would disobey God. There would be punishment. They would come back to God. Well, they were in this season of disobedience. They had turned their back on God, and they didn't repent. And so God allowed them to be taken into captivity. And they were in captivity for 70 years. And then a new king comes along and allows them to go free. And they start going back to Jerusalem. They trickle back to Jerusalem. And when they get there, the city of Jerusalem is destroyed. The walls are down. They're broken down. And that means they have no protection from their enemies. And Nehemiah comes along in 444 BC. And he decides we have to do something about this. He finds out about the destruction of Jerusalem, and he decides that he wants to help rebuild this. He is the cupbearer to the king of Persia, that the king allows him to come and to do this rebuilding. And he gathers the people, and he begins to give this vision for rebuilding. He says to them, you want me on that wall. You need me on that wall, or something like that. He says, let's build this wall. And so they begin rebuilding the wall. And as they start rebuilding the wall... Immediately, they face opposition. The surrounding leaders have a reason for them to stop the work. And so first, they start criticizing them, and then they start threatening them. And here's what we learn, is that when you finally start rebuilding in your life, you will face opposition. And although God promises to be with you in the rebuilding process, he does not promise that it's going to be easy. You're going to have to do the hard work to do this rebuilding. Well, no sooner had Nehemiah tackled that problem, and another problem begins to emerge. While the first problem was opposition from the outside, now he's facing opposition from the inside. That it's not just the walls that are in ruins, 
Their economy is in total shambles. And the people inside Jerusalem and Judah are starving. And the leaders inside Israel are taking advantage of the situation. And Nehemiah confronts this injustice. And here's what we're going to learn today. What we're going to learn today is when you decide to address some issues in your life, there are going to be some character issues that begin to emerge. There's going to be these character issues that we have to decide, are we going to tackle these character issues or not? Because if you don't address them, they have the potential of destroying the work that God is doing in you. We're going to pick up the story, Nehemiah chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 1. It says, now the men and their wives raised a great outcry against their fellow Jews. Some were saying, we and our sons and daughters are numerous. In order for us to eat and stay alive, we must get grain. Others were saying, we are mortgaging our fields and vineyards and our homes in order for us to um, to get grain during the famine. Still others were saying, we have had to borrow money to pay the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. Well, the people inside of Jerusalem, they're starving. And what has happened in the past is the surrounding areas have sent in money lenders to, to lend money, and they're charging such high interest rates that the people are literally having to mortgage their homes and sell their homes just to pay the interest and to buy food. But it's not just the people of the surrounding areas. It's the Jewish leaders as well. And in verse 5, it says, although we are all of the same flesh and blood as our fellow Jews, and though our children are as good as theirs, yet we've had to subject our sons and daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields and our vineyards, they belong to others. It's not just these outside moneylenders who are taking advantage of the people. Some of the Jewish leaders are doing the same thing, that they're taking advantage of their own people and they're exploiting the situation to get wealthy off of their suffering. And so the Israelites have had to sell their own children into slavery. They're losing their, fellow, their homes to their fellow Israelites. And not only is this morally wrong, God has spoken against this. God has said, no Jew should enslave another Jew. And this is about to unravel the good work that they're doing. They're rebuilding the wall, and this is about to collapse everything that they're doing if they don't confront it. So Nehemiah confronts this injustice. Verse 6 says, when I heard their outcry and these charges, I was angry. And this has to, you begin to ask, what do you get angry about? What is it for you that you get angry? Because we all get angry. And so the question is, do you get angry about the right things? Say, I'm going to do something about this. He says, I was very angry and I pondered them. He didn't just make this knee-jerk reaction. He pondered what he was going to do in his mind. He says, then I accused the nobles and officials. I told them, you are charging your own people interest. So I called together a large meeting to deal with them. What these guys were doing is they charged so much interest that the people couldn't afford to pay it. So they foreclosed on their homes and on their lands, and then they hired them to work their own fields that they used to to own. And then they turned around and charged such high prices on the grain that nobody could afford it. And so Nehemiah says, 
I called together a large meeting. When I was a kid, my dad used to call together a family meeting every now and then. I don't know whether you had family meetings in your home or whether you still did do right now, but when my dad called a family meeting, it was not good news. This was not my dad saying, hey, we're all going to Disneyland on vacation. That was not the kind of family meeting we had. We knew something was wrong and dad was going to do something about it. Well, Nehemiah comes in, he says, I'm going to call a meeting because we need to confront this. We need to do something about this. We need to get to the bottom of all of this. Well, verse 8, he says, And I said, as far as possible, we have bought back our fellow Jews who were sold to the Gentiles. So let me tell you what has happened years before this. Years before, that, when, when Nehemiah had come into Jerusalem, the, the surrounding nations had taken the Israelites as slaves because they couldn't afford to pay their mortgages and their interest rates. And so Nehemiah took his own money and he bought them out of slavery. Well, now the leaders of Jerusalem, the Jewish leaders are doing the same thing. He says, now you are selling your own people only for them to be sold back to us. He says, you're doing the same thing. He goes, you've taken them back into slavery, and now I'm having to use my money to buy them back out of slavery again. It says they kept quiet because they could find nothing to say. Sometimes it's just good to say, we're not going to say anything. We are just going to be quiet. So next verse, he says, so I continued, what you are doing is not right. Somebody has to stand up and say it. What is going on is not right, and somebody has to stand up. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God and avoid the reproach of our Gentile enemies? I and my brothers and my men are also lending the people money and grain, but let us stop charging interest. So he's saying to them, he said, what you're doing is not right, that you're taking advantage of these people who are in need. And God actually spoke about this. In Exodus, this is what God said. He says, if you lend money to one of my people among you who is needy, do not treat it like a business deal. Charge no interest. He says, we have people who are suffering. And Nehemiah says, I'm loaning them money as well because they're in need. They can't buy food. He says, but I'm not taking advantage of the situation. I'm not charging them interest. We need to stop this. Verse 11, he says, give back to them immediately their fields, vineyards, olive groves, and houses, and also the interest you are charging them, 1% of the money, grain, new wine, and olive oil. Nehemiah says, here's what we're going to do. Here's what everybody is going to do. Not only are you going to give them back their houses that you foreclosed on, You're going to give them back their land and their vineyards so that they can make a living. And you're going to give back all of the interest that you charge. And on top of that, you're going to give back the grain and the wine that you took instead of money because they could no longer afford to pay you money. Verse 12, the people say, we will give it back, they said. And we will not demand anything more from them. We will do as you say. Then I summoned the priest and made the nobles and officials take an oath to do what they had promised. They said, we're going to give it all back. But Nehemiah said, I know you say that, but I don't really trust you. I don't really trust that you're actually going to give it back. So we're going to take an oath before God. 
You're going to make a promise before God that you're going to do what is right. That you're going to honor God in the midst of this. And we're going to do the right thing. It goes on here in verse 13. He says, I also shook the folds of my robe and said, in this way, may God shake out of their house and possessions anyone who does not keep this promise. So may such a person be shaken out and emptied. At this, the whole assembly said, amen, and praised the Lord. And the people did as they had promised. Now, I know you hear him say that when he says, I shook the folds out of my robe, and you can't get a bathrobe out of your mind. You know, you're just thinking everybody, you know, has their, has their bathrobes there, and you're like, okay, now what does this mean? Well, Nehemiah is giving them an object lesson at this point. The folds of their robes, that they would take their robes and fold them in such a way that those were their pockets. And so in the folds of their robes is where they would keep their wallet. It's where they would keep their money. Maybe they had a bag full of coins. They would keep it in the fold of their robes. If we were saying this today, we might say, you know, God will take you and shake you upside down until everything falls out of your pockets. That's, that's what he's saying. And he's saying, if you do not do what's right, God is going to shake out of your pockets every last dime you have until all of your possessions that you own are gone. And he says, and you'll become poor and you'll feel what it's like to be oppressed by the rich. He's emotional. He says, we need to do something about this. But here's what we're going to see from the life of Nehemiah. Is the reason that they took him seriously. It's the reason that gives him authority to lead. Verse 14, he says, moreover, from the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, until his 32nd year, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allotted to the governor. As governor, he had these rights. He had been there for 12 years at this point. And as the governor, he had rights. He had the right to collect taxes. He had the right to buy land. When land came up for sale, or he had the right to do that, he had the right to collect food from the people to feed his family and his entourage. But he said, I didn't do any of those things. He says, I didn't take advantage of anyone. I didn't take advantage of any of my rights. Verse 15, he says, but the earlier governors, those preceding me, placed a heavy burden on the people and took 40 shekels of silver from, silver from them in addition to the food and the wine. Their assistants also lorded it over the people, but out of reverence for God, I did not act like that. See, I love this. He said, I had every right to. As, as a governor, I had every right to go in there, but I was not going to take advantage of the situation so I could get rich. I wasn't going to take this advantage of the situation so I could get ahead. He says, out of reverence for God, I chose not to take what was coming to me. Then verse 16, he says, instead, I devoted myself to the work of this wall. All my men were assembled there for the work that we did not acquire any land. That he said, we decided we're here because God has placed us here for a reason. God has placed us here to rebuild this wall and we're not going to take advantage of all of these rights that we had. That I'm going to look at this through the eyes of God and I'm going to do what God would have me to do out of reverence for God and out of doing the work that God has called me. This is what I'm going to do. And then here's how it finishes up in verse 19. He says, remember me with favor, my God. 
for all I have done for these people. Instead of me using my power to get ahead, God, I'm going I'm to ask you to remember me. I'm going to ask you to, to fight the battle for me. Just out of reverence for God, God, remember me with favor for all I've done. I'm just going to trust you in this. See, the good work that they're doing is about to be destroyed because of this sin that's happened in there. This good work that they're doing is about to all come down if it's not confronted. And there's two huge applications for us in this story. Here's this first application. It's this, is that you move towards the conflict. You move towards the conflict. That when Nehemiah hears about the injustice, he gets angry. Because when he hears about the most vulnerable people are being taken advantage of, he gets angry and decides to do something. And he calls a meeting and he confronts the situation. For most of us, we hate conflict. And if you're somebody who loves conflict, there's something wrong with you. I mean, there's a problem if you love conflict. There's nobody in here who likes conflict. But see, we have two different things that we can do. We can either avoid conflict or we can address it and move towards it. And here's what's interesting about Nehemiah. He is so focused on building the wall that in the next chapter, that the villain of our story, his name is Sanballat, is going to come and saying, I want to take you out for coffee. And Nehemiah is saying, I'm doing a great work and I'm not coming off this wall. But here, for injustice that is happening here, for the sin that is happening, Nehemiah stops the work on the wall to take care of this because there's sin in the camp. He stops the work so he can take care of what needs to be taken care of. Instead of avoiding the issue, he moves towards the conflict. Because here's what he knew. If he didn't confront the situation, it was going to derail God's work. This great work that God had called him to. What was in jeopardy is everything God was doing was in jeopardy of crashing down if he didn't confront it. So here's my question for you. Here's my question for you right now. What is in jeopardy in your life right now if you don't address it? What good work is God doing in your life? And if you don't address this sin issue in your life or this character issue, that you are in jeopardy of everything crumbling around you. Maybe you say, well, somebody ought to do something about that. And that's where God's saying, it is you, it is time for you to step up and address this injustice. It's time for you to step up and address this, this character issue in your life. And maybe it's a relationship that you need to repair. Maybe it's somebody you need to go to and you need to begin to reconcile a relationship. Jesus said that that was such a big deal. He says, if you're in a worship gathering like this right here, and in the middle of the worship gathering, in the middle of worship, you remember somebody who has something against you. He says, it is better for you to get up out of this worship service and to go be reconciled than to stay right here. Nehemiah says, I called a meeting. And I know that calling a meeting doesn't sound like a big deal, but this may be the most spiritual thing that you do to confront a situation for you to move towards this issue and address it. Because what you, what you need to confront in your life, if you don't confront it, it has the potential of derailing God's work in you. 
Well, here's the second application. It's this, is that your life is what gives you influence. It is your life that gives you influence. See, here's what's amazing about Nehemiah, is that he was the governor of Judah. He had all the power of the king behind him to enforce whatever he wanted to enforce. But his influence didn't come from his position. His influence came from his life. Nehemiah uses his spiritual and moral authority to influence the people around him. He said, I had all the power to go and buy land to collect food from the people. But he said, I didn't do it. And he gave this reason right here. He said, it was out of reverence for God. Out of reverence for God that he lives his life above reproach. It's his way of honoring God. God, I want to honor you in every single way. It is your life that gives you influence. I've been a pastor for over 30 years. And I had the opportunity to speak into young leaders and young pastors. And this is what I tell them, is that your life is the most powerful message that you have. Some of you have been at the crossing since we started 17 years ago. You have been here since the very beginning. And over these 17 years, I've given dozens and dozens of very forgettable messages on marriage. Matter of fact, I've given dozens of really bad messages on marriage. I mean, I look back and I go, why did people ever come back? You know, I look at these, I can't believe they're still here. See, that's, that's not what gives credibility. What gives credibility is to the best of my ability, I've tried to love my wife. That's what matters. It is your life. The way you live your life is what gives you influence. That your life is the greatest message that you have. Your dating relationship, the way you handle your dating relationship, gives you influence. Your sexual purity, the way that you love your husband or wife, the way that you parent your kids, the way that you handle conflict, the way that you handle money, the things that you say and do, who you care about. It is these things in your life that gives you influence. Here's how the Apostle Peter talks about this. He says, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits. You live such good lives. See, there's something powerful about God working in us and through us that gives us influence when we begin to honor God. I just got back for the memorial service for my brother-in-law. My brother-in-law passed away suddenly last week. He had a heart attack and died. He was 56 years old. And all of us were just in shock. He had been married to Darla's sister for 34 years. It was about four years ago that they separated in their marriage because they had some huge issues to work through. And they were separated for three years, but they fought for their marriage. They walked towards the conflict and they fought for their marriage and they worked on their relationship. And about a year ago, they reconciled. And their marriage has been the sweetest time of their life. This time back together has been the sweetest time, the sweetest relationship that they've ever had. To see the redemption in their story and the reconciliation of their relationship. 
It was powerful. Darla's the youngest of five girls. And all of the girls married pastors. And I know that's weird. None of us know who are supposed to pray at Thanksgiving. We just all look at each other. And the other four of us had the opportunity to speak at his service. And we talked about God's grace in their life, in his life, the power of Brian's life. That we grieve, but we grieve with hope. We grieve with hope. And us brother-in-laws, we were all talking to each other. And the other guys were saying, they go, I thought I would be the one who would go first. Can't believe that it's Brian. Can't believe that he's the one who's gone. And just in times like that, you just begin to reflect on your own life. And I've just been reflecting on my life. Going, when that day comes for me, I don't want people to get up and say trivial things about me. I want people to say, my life had an impact, like we were able to say about Brian's life. 800 people packed that auditorium. That I want my life to make a difference. That my life influences and has this ripple effect on other people's lives. And I just believe the words of Jesus that Jesus said that people will know that we are his disciples by the way that we love one another. That people will know that we are followers of Jesus by the way that we act and by the way that we live and by the way that we love. And here's what I want to do. I want to pray for you. As I'm praying for you, maybe your prayer to God is just to begin to address, maybe it's just a character issue. Maybe it's an injustice that you just need to begin to deal with in your heart. That you're going to begin to take that to God. You're going to confront this so that your life can shine for Jesus. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for Jesus and the hope that we have in him. We thank you that our redemption comes because Jesus died on the cross for us. God, and the truth is there is not a person in this room who is good enough And in spite of that, Jesus came and died for us so that you could have a relationship with us. God, the truth is some of us in this room right now need to walk towards the conflict, begin to deal with some things. So God, we honor you and we thank you for for the work that you're doing in us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.